Here's a question. How does an ordinary person land their dream job in the sports industry immediately after graduating? Welcome to the Sports Grad Podcast, your bite-sized guide to enter the sports industry. I'm Ruben Williams. And I'm Ryan Walker. In 2017, we said goodbye to exams and hello to full-time work. This is a behind-the-scenes reveal of exactly how the best sports industry professionals in the world created careers that most only dream of. We believe every dream job in sport is worth chasing, and that's why we want to give you the tools to make it a reality. For a proven process to getting jobs in sport, download our free ebook. How to Get Jobs in Sport, The Sports Grad Method. You can get this for free at www.sportsgrad.com.au. Hello and welcome to The Sports Grad Podcast. My name is Ryan Walker and with me, as always, and back for 2021, is the refreshed Ruben Williams. How are you today, mate? Hello, Ryan. I am feeling good, feeling refreshed. Great to be back talking on a podcast with you. It's been a good summer. One of one of my highlights was actually bumping into you again for a for a hot minute. We became colleagues again, reunited at, at Cricket Australia over yes. over the Boxing Day Test match. So, I had a few, I had a few duties that uh, my contract uh, had in mind for me. But then um, when you caught word that I was back on the scene, a few more requests came through that weren't in the job description. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I couldn't. I, I mean, I I can't. I couldn't possibly resist not emailing you or, or giving you a buzz to, to see if you could lend a hand in uh, your beloved partnerships team. I'm sure you would have been very happy to to help us out with a number of small tasks, I'd say, um, but very important tasks. So, no, you were it was fantastic to be able to email my good friend and colleague once again. So, no, it was, uh, it was very fun. It was quite weird, but it was great. You did a sterling job and um, I'm sure you enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. No, it was it was pretty interesting when um so we for those who don't know, I was working at the hub for the Australian Indian and Indian teams over the Boxing Day test match and um things started to look a little bit hairy when we caught word that there could be a second Melbourne test match and so all the planning that we were doing to get the hotel COVID safe uh, for the test match was looking like it had to be extended and um, looking like it would have eaten, eaten into a bit of my holidays, Ryan, but uh, not to be in the end. The match went to Sydney and uh, all things played out as planned. Great result. Anyway, let's uh, let's get cracking for 2021. Um, who have we got on on the show today? Ryan, massive guest first up. We've got Aman Alawalia, who's the business analytics manager from the Kansas City Chiefs. He has uh, He's got one of the more remarkable careers in terms of the way his role has changed and adapted and the way he's been forced to pick up new skills just based on what the, the organization has required of him. So, uh, a fascinating chat with a, with an awesome man who's, who's very well spoken. Um, what, what I particularly loved about chatting with Aman is the way that he makes everything he does, and it's very complicated, some of the things he does in his job, he makes everything sound really simple and really easily understood. Further to that, I think, you know, some of the stuff he says – He's basically like a, like a bit of a step-by-step guide in terms of getting to the position that he's in now. And like you look at some of the ways that he has upskilled or reached out to people, I think particularly when he walked us through how he got that connection at the Kansas City Chiefs that ended up paying off where he ended up working was, uh, yeah, was really, really well broken down, very kind of um, uh, practical and easy to understand for people looking to do the same. So, he was, he was awesome to talk to. Yeah, absolutely. I must say it was a, a cracking start to 2021. Um, and I, I think it was 
probably when he started talking about um, sort of not having just an immediate follow up strategy in terms of when he when he networks and when he when he meets new people, but he sort of spoke about a four month and then a six month follow up strategy, and that just made me think, you know, this guy is fully switched on um, and a pretty elite operator. So yes, he is uh, a seriously fascinating guy. Uh, with an unreal job. So um, I think we just dive in straight away. So for the listeners, grab a pen. Aman Alawalia is coming right up. Guys, we wanted to kick off 2021 with a bank. So we've brought in the big guns for this episode. He is the championship winning manager of business analytics from the Kansas City Chiefs, who are the reigning NFL champions. And he's also a podcast extraordinaire from the Sports Business Strategy Podcast. Armin, welcome to the Sports Grad Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I think you're, you're far too kind with the kind words. <laughs> Armin, we are massive on our research here at the Sports Grad Podcast, uh, which you'll be happy to know. And we've actually discovered that you are the only person in Canada who has listed cricket as their favorite sport. Is this correct? Yes, that would be correct. Well done on the research. After my own heart, I love research for sure. Yeah. So I'm, uh, my mom is from England. My dad is from India. And so growing up in Canada, um, you know, in an Indian household, cricket was something that my dad kind of instilled in me early on. And it's actually become a passion quite recently after watching the test. I was just chatting with Ruben about that pre- prior to the show that, um, the test really kind of got me excited and even some of the stuff around on Netflix has been uh, great for me to get back into it. So yes, spot on. Well, it's great to see. And I, I guess England and India, well, that's a perfect combination to create a, uh, a cricket fan. So uh, no, that is awesome. Um, but it, in all seriousness, it's it's awesome to be chatting with you. One of the, one of the best things about working with a club is that you, you sort of ride the highs and lows with, uh, with everyone inside and, and with the players and whatnot. If you can cast your mind back a year ago, um, what was the feeling like being part of a Super Bowl winning club? Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely right. You know, one of the hardest things to do working on the on the team or the club side is to try to stay as even as you can. But obviously, you know, like most people in sports industry, you know, they really enjoy the game. And so it's hard not to get caught up in the highs and the lows, but you know, when we're recording this today, a year ago, I was on the field at the AFC Championship game, celebrating with the team, winning with the with the intent that we're going to the Super Bowl. So obviously, we're in the playoff rush right now, as as of this recording. Hopefully, we're still in it when it's dropped, or or hosting the Lombardi again. But it, you know, as a as a person from Canada who always wanted to work in the NFL. I can't tell you, it, it was an incredible feeling, not just because the team won that I was working for, it was the moments that you share with the people that you work with. Um, you know, I, I saw, you know, the financial manager who has been there for 35 years, right? She's almost basically just grown up in her adult, entire professional life with the team. And just seeing her crying on the sidelines was just that to me, that was the best part of it. You know, I, I've only known success at the team on the field. So for them, for those who've been through heartache, uh, it's an incredible feeling and, and one I hope a lot of people get to um, have in their professional careers as well on the team side. That's awesome that the, that the clubs get all the employees really involved in, and share get to share in that success as well, which is, um, yeah, very unique, very special part of sport. Uh, Armin, at the start of 2021, I'm sure a lot of people would have um, 
written down their three to four year plans and would have had a list at the top become an NFL championship manager of business analytics. How did it all begin for you? Yeah. So, I mean, of course, right. You know, my, my 30 year plan, it had it that at that point in there somewhere. Um, no, I think for me, you know, originally from Canada, like I mentioned, you guys already done the research. So, you know, there for the listeners, um, born and raised in Winnipeg, Manitoba. And, you know, I, I always knew I wanted to go away for school. And so that's kind of where my, my journey started. Right. I huge sports fan growing up, you know, people used to come to me and talk about any kind of sport, whether it's racing, soccer, cricket, football, basketball, hockey, baseball to a certain extent, which is kind of a lesser cricket in my opinion. I'm sure I'm going to get butchered for that later. But, um, you know, I think it's one of those things that, you know, I went away to school on the East Coast of Canada and that's kind of where I got my first kind of real passion for what sports could be. And so I started writing a sports blog on my own and a friend of mine out of a whim just said, hey, why don't you go write for the university paper? And I was like, oh, I didn't realize there was a university paper. He's like, yeah, there's a sports section. You should go talk to them. And so I went up and I was a management student. So I was in business. So I was definitely lost from their perspective, you know, with all the arts and the writing people. And I'm a terrible writer. So I went there. They took me in as a charity case. And they're like, hey, just go cover soccer. You know, no one's doing it today. We need someone to go do it. And when I went there, it was just I knew some people on the team because I you know, went to school with them and it was just really great. And that's kind of, I think, one of the first moments where I was like, this could be kind of fun. And so I went back again another week and another week and they kept giving me more opportunities. And sooner than later, I was like, you know, I kind of want to do more. And so there was a radio show that was being hosted and I was like, hey, can I come on and be a guest? And there was a university radio sports show and I showed up. The guy was very kind. He gave me, you know, five minutes to come and answer some questions, talk about the stuff, all the stuff I'd been covering. He had a chance to, to kind of go from there. And so uh, essentially did that. And then they're like, hey, we need someone to operate the camera. Just move it back and forth. It's all it is. Just follow the follow the, the soccer game up and down. Then it was basketball season. Then I got to cover it. And in Canada, we have something called what at the time was called the CIS Final Eight, which is now the U Sports Final Eight, which is our NCAA March Madness tournament. Um, for those Aussies that are playing in the NCAA might be aware of that. And so I got to cover it. And so we like dressed up and we got all excited about it, went down and covered our university that was playing in it. And I met some guys who were scouting basketball and starting a website. And so got to them, talked to them and said, hey, you know, I, I met you when I was there. Like, would love to do whatever that is. And so I got to cover and scout out of basketball in Manitoba, Nova Scotia. And so from there, you know, graduated, came back to Winnipeg and figured out that, you know, I needed to do something. So uh, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers were looking to find people to help uh, on the food and beverage side, which my family had restaurants. And so it managed to work out okay, where I got a job kind of managing the, the luxury level or suite level, um, the luxury boxes uh, on the food and beverage side, realized it wasn't the best fit for me after one season, which was a lot of lows. You know, we talk about the highs of the Chiefs. When I was there that one year, it was a brand new stadium. that It was delayed to open it. They were installing seats the, the morning of the first game up until about an hour before. And then on top of that, you know, they fired the head coach. They fired the CEO. They fired the GM. They changed the quarterback. Like, it was just horrible. They only won three games. And, you know, it was just, just a bad season. But I always knew I wanted to get my MBA. And so uh, I got my MBA at, at San Diego State with a focus in sports business. And that led me to Kansas City. So I realized I gave you way too long of an answer there. But ho hopefully there was a little bit of insight in there. From, and hopefully I didn't, I didn't ruin the rest of the interview. <laughs> no, we, we loved our answers. Uh, and we, we actually, in the first season, all oh, first season, I'm calling it a season, Rubes, it's 
more so the first year of the sports grad podcast, we, we sort of had a bit of a, a saying of, oh, that's probably out there for answer of the year. So I think we've probably got an early candidate, which is fantastic. Um, so no, we're all for the thorough answers. I got a question. I did do a, a thorough stalk of your LinkedIn, like we do for all our guests who, who come on the podcast. And you've had a total of four roles at the Chiefs, which is really awesome. But I just want to ask you sort of like what part did, did networking play in, in your journey to, to really get inside the Chiefs and what are some of the tips that you give to students to, you know, who are probably struggling or a bit nervous to make that first step? Yeah, absolutely. So for me, networking has been everything. It's been a huge part of my career personally and professionally. I think, uh, you know, when I was at San Diego State, I, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And so... I thought I wanted to do the, the, you know, the basketball operations side with the scouting background and kind of try to go down the GM or the salary cap route. Um, but, you know, it is a long shot. And I was aware of that and knew that I had a really strong business acumen and I could add some value elsewhere. And so while I, I kind of didn't give up on that dream, I felt like I could shift my dream to something new. And so I took one weekend and I basically looked and I said, I want to work on a team side on the business if that's what I'm going to do. So I basically looked up every major four, NBA, MLB, NHL, NFL, some, some MLS as well too. And I just researched everybody that existed in the partnership realm. And I said, okay, I'm going to put them in a big Excel spreadsheet. Then I said, okay, I got to find all these emails. If I find one email, that means I found the company's email, right? So digging through old PR reports, um, you know, typing an email at whatever, you know, the team name is to try to find it. So spend an entire weekend doing that. And then I just sent a bunch of tailored kind of cold emails to everybody with something unique about them, whether it was, hey, you went to university here. And so from that, that was the first real networking thing I ever did where it was, okay, I want to get to know what makes you special, what makes you tick. And like, that's a huge part of who I am. Like I have a genuine interest. It was never for a malicious gain of, I need to know somebody so they get me a job. It was always... I, what you're doing is great. Like, tell me more about it. Like, what makes you special? What makes you tick? Like, if I can start to pull these together, it would start to help me. So that's where I started to network. And while I don't know if how much this actually did impact me, but at the Chiefs, I found two people. And so I sent them both emails. One did not respond. One did. He said, call me. So the minute he sent that email, I literally called him within half an hour because, you know, I checked my email half an hour later and there was no answer. So I said, okay, I'll call him again tomorrow. So I called him about four times, never got an email or never got a response. The phone was never answered or whatever. So when I applied for the position of an internship at the Chiefs, I shot him a note and said, hey, I've applied. I just wanted you to know, I hope I get to work with you at some point in the future. I know we couldn't connect, didn't work out. Now, I know on working at the Chiefs, internships are pretty intense, right? We have roughly 200 people apply for one internship. Now, I always say there's an A pile, there's a B pile and there's a C pile. You never want to be in the C pile because the C pile does not exist. It's the garbage in theory. B, sometimes you got a chance in the B pile, but if you're in the A pile, there's always a chance. And so from my perspective, it's what could I do to try to get myself into the A pile? Now, I got a call back, got an opportunity. So I'm wondering, I never really confirmed it with him because he usually left shortly after I got there. But at some point, I'm wondering if maybe they said, hey, take a look at this guy's resume. He talked to me, he reached out, he might be a good fit. So, and that's all it is, right? Networking is, all it is, is it, it gives you a chance, right? And that's all you're asking for. So yes, networking has been a huge part of my 
fabric of my career professionally, personally. Um, you know, I, it's, it's, it's a huge part of who I am. And some people think I'm a little bit of a serial networker, but um, it, it's one of those things that has, has definitely impacted my career in a huge positive way. And, and one way I've been able to help other people's careers, young students as well, too. That is fantastic. I think that might have just topped it for answer of the year. I, there's, there's a lot to kind of digest in that. And, you know, you say serial networker, but I think when you've got a genuine interest in other people, it, it just comes naturally. It's not something you force or you feel like you have to do from a professional sense. It's just what you're interested in. So it just comes naturally and then results flow from that. The other thing was that, uh, you know, people say job hunting is a full-time job and, you know, people might look at that in the frame of mind that, you know, you've got to be online applying for jobs, writing resumes and, and tailoring cover letters every single day. I loved your approach where you've pulled up an Excel spreadsheet, written down every single team you want to work at, finding the people on LinkedIn who work in those roles and then finding their emails either by guessing them or researching them and then sending them emails and, and then following up as well, which is the important part too. So I think that I think that approach is just fantastic and, and it's clearly paid off. Yeah, I mean, it, it was one of those things where, you know, they talk about the 10,000-hour rule, right? And I feel like with all this time and effort, you know, like in the beginning, I was terrible, right? I started asking questions. I was not very good. And if I was me talking to me, when I was trying to do that, I would have been probably not impressed. And so when I got better at it, I, I took away key learnings, key things. And then I started to realize that there's a pattern from when I asked certain things. So instead of asking, you know, tell me about your career, I said, tell me why you left at this time. What was the reason you made the move from here to here, right? I saw that you were at this company when they did this deal or this happened tell me what it was like in the office, right? I tried to avoid those cookie cutter answers that people had tailored and tried to have a real conversation with them. And so I think you hit on another great point. And again, I love the stuff you guys are doing with students. I think it's fantastic, right? I like try, I try to give back as much as I can because you got to send the elevator back down, right? So that people can continue to rise and, you know, stand on people's shoulders. So, um, you know, I think about it as, okay, I sent them a conversation, you know, when I finish the conversation, I like to send a quick note just saying thank you, something maybe tailored to that specific about why I enjoyed the conversation or something they said or a follow-up. But then it's okay. But what do you do four months later? What do you do six months later? What is your plan for that, right? And so for me, my strategy was I put together a kind of a, hey, this is my little almost like email blast to everybody where, hey, you know, I'm going on vacation. I'm doing this. The team is doing, you know, here. It's not necessarily for them, but it's more for me to tell them, hey, this is what I'm doing. You don't have to respond. I just want to keep you in the loop about what I'm doing. I want to try to stay top of mind with you. And I think that's the most important thing that really good people will stand out. Now, if you're not above the rest, how do you get yourself into that? Again, that A pile, I think about that, right? How do you stay top of mind in people's mind share from a marketing perspective as well too, right? Because you're trying to market yourself to think about, oh, when there's a job that they hear comes up, how do they think about them, right? I have a list in my head right now of young professionals that if I had an opportunity or something came up, I'm going to instantly call them. Why? Because they impressed me. I want to help good people find opportunities. And so again, they don't have to be the smartest. They have to be genuine. They got to be thinking about what tries to make them better. And so I, I realize I got off tangent there, but you get the point, I think, or at least I hope so. No, it's, it's absolutely. absolutely awesome. I, I, I love the... um your own personal newsletter, so to speak, as well. That's super cool. And um, I think your point is right. Like, you know, the hidden job market, 
um, you know, the way to kind of tap into the hidden job market is making sure you're, you're front of mind when an opportunity becomes available. And one of the one of the really interesting things that you're doing at the moment from what I've seen on LinkedIn is that you share a lot of books that you're reading. You, know, you mentioned the 10,000-hour rule. You're, you're clearly very well read. I'm interested to kind of hear where has, you know, those posts about the books that you're reading, where where have some of those posts led you in terms of, you know, people who have started discussions or been interested in other things that you've been reading too? Yeah, Noel, I appreciate the the follow and I know you've had a chance to like them as well too on LinkedIn. So I really appreciate the support there as well. So for me, it really kind of started as I, I've always struggled to read, right? I'm going to tell a funny story where I was in university and I'm reading a textbook. I have my door open and it's like six in the afternoon, six in the evening, maybe or whatever. And I'm reading and reading and all of a sudden I wake up. So I've fallen asleep. And so I wake up and all my roommates or floor mates come in and go, where's all your stuff? Is everything all right? And I'm getting up and I'm looking around and half of the stuff in my room is gone. Now, what they've done is they'd come in and taken it out because I've fallen asleep. Now, in university, if you fall asleep when you read a textbook, that's, that's, not, a, that's, not, that's not a path for success, knowing that you have to do a lot of reading. Now, for me, reading a book, it's it's a great way to like for me to unwind and potentially sleep. Recently, I've discovered audiobooks. And so that was a huge kind of foray into me being like, I've always wanted to read. I've always had passion for it, but I've always found it really hard to do it. And so audiobooks was just a different method for me to consume um, the book in terms of a reading or completing them. So, and, you know, I've always thought I've, I've really enjoyed putting content out there because for me in the genuineness, like I love to share ideas. I love to talk about things that, I think are interesting and hear different people's perspectives, right? Everyone has a unique perspective that, okay, maybe you heard this a different way. Okay, well, tell me why that is. So for me, you know, you talk about random people. I I was at a game last year when we, you know, there are fans there. And one of the vice presidents of marketing from one of our largest banking sponsors came to me and said, hey, I saw that post you're talking about. That's a really good book. I'm going to go pick that up on the way home from the game tonight. And so it was just this idea that I wanted that to happen. And so, you know, you brought it up. It's It's been great. I mean, I've managed to add a couple of authors. And, you know, when I tag them in it, it's nice to see them. One of them said, hey, next time you're in New York, let's grab a drink. Let's grab lunch. Like, I owe you. And it's like, I, I don't want that. I never anticipated that. But I want to still meet him because I think he's a fascinating character in person and I, I want to get to pick his brain and learn from him even more. So um, it's been really fun. Um, I'm right now I'm reading No Rules Rules by Reed Hastings about Netflix and I'm just, I'm enamored with it. And so it's, it's fun now. It's, I've, I've really enjoyed it. So it's, it's taken off for sure. I think uh, I might need to jump on the train of audiobooks, Rubes. I think I tried reading, I believe I can see it right now. It's The Magic of Thinking Big. I'm a few pages in, but I'm like, yeah, I struggle to just complete the book. I, I can sometimes, but I just don't find the time. So, audiobooks might be a tip for anyone listening as well who's struggling to read but wants to read. So, get in with that. We spoke to Michael Wolfert in episode eight last year who, who came up against, I think it was 800 applicants for his position at uh, the mighty Cincinnati Bengals. And we're just wondering, what, what was the application process and interview process like for you with the Chiefs? Yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, you know, I've had a chance to be on the other side of the table, right? And do that with not only uh, an internship that was under me, but a couple of other internships and being part of the process. So like I mentioned, you know, teamwork online is kind of a very popular job site sort uh, source here in, in the States. And so 
I know that there are countless times where we have 200 plus applications, right? The marketing department has 400, 500 because everyone just thinks, oh, marketing, that's what I want to do. And so, uh, yeah, the candidacy uh, is extremely hard. And I would even argue that in today's current climate with everything that's gone on with layoffs and furloughs, that there has never been a more higher density of talent, especially at the entry level, right? You don't only have the junior people that have been laid off because they're junior and they have the least amount of time at the club or the team or the agency. You have all the people that just graduated. And then you have all the people that are coming through the loop who are graduating in the next year or six months or whatever. And so right now it is extremely competitive. Um, You know, I've talked to students who are extremely qualified and they're just like, you know, I get an interview, but I'm just not a finalist. And that's the way that it is. And so yeah, I think it really, and I mentioned my story at the beginning of beginning of the episode is that all it takes sometimes is just to get a chance, but you also have to build, you have to almost make your own luck a little bit. So uh, there is no silver bullet. There's no cutting corners, but I think if you kind of take time and develop and understand what you want, I think that's a great um, way to potentially get yourself in the door. Um, and then, you know, it's up to you at that point to kind of perform in the interview. Not necessarily you have to be polished, but I think you just have to be ready to understand and think about what you can deliver and how you can add value. Ryan mentioned that you've had four positions at the Chiefs in your time. Uh, I think uh, I think uh, history and food and beverage help you get started in, in the hospitality sector until you evolved into the role of, of analytics. How did that evolution come about? Yeah. So uh, again, you know, it's all about building on those experiences that you talk about, right? So with the food and beverage job, I had experience working at my family's restaurant and they knew the restaurant in the community. So they knew that I had a food and beverage and they could handle those high level clients. Now they took a chance on me, but the only reason I got that interview or that opportunity is because I was networking with them and I had to do it for a class project. But I saw it as, look, this is an opportunity to do it as a class project, which as a student, you are very non-threatening to a lot of people. And I think that's one of the most key important things that if you are a student, like people are willing to help. Now, don't take advantage of that. Make sure that it's genuine and you want to be interested in what that is. But that's how I got that opportunity in that position. And so from there, when I applied to the Chiefs, they said, oh, you have food and beverage on the suite level, the hospitality experience. And so that was kind of my initial foray into uh, in, into the Chiefs there. But yeah, I think for me, you know, my skill set has always been ever changing and always been ever developing, right? I started on the sweet servicing side, um, got hired five weeks into the internship on this as a sweet service coordinator. And while it was, we think you can do the job, it was, we think you have a lot of other opportunities that you can add to this, but we want to keep you in because of the headcount. We'll have you do this and then we'll figure out something as you go. And so as I developed, as I could show what I do, I started to add more and more things. Now, when I did my MBA at San Diego State, you know, there was a lot of analytics and data analytics classes. So it wasn't like I had no experience. and I just completely learned coding and by no means am I a coder at any at any level. So um, it, it was more of just like, hey, they need someone to fill this. And, and timing is everything. I think that's one of the things. Networking and timing is everything happened to be my two kind of main parts of, of my career and my journey right now. So the way I said that is that we had to do an internship kind of project, like a thesis or a 795, we call it at San Diego State. Um, and so I did it on the suite department. And so I did a full report of this is where we are. This is where our pricing is. This is what our competitors look like. Here's where I think we can grow. Here are the things of concern. 
And I gave it to my vice president. And he, I was like, look, it's 90 pages. It's a lot of graphs, a lot of charts. Like, I just want you to read like this kind of section here. He said, great, I'm going away. On vacation, I'll read it on the plane. And I was like, okay, great. So he came back the next weekend. He was like, I read the whole thing. And I was like, what? I, I told you, just read just one section. That's all you need, right? So anyway, he came back and he said, I didn't realize you could do all these things. Like, I didn't realize you had all this thing. And so there was a financial analyst that left who was helping the corporate partnerships department with some of the reporting. And so he came to me and said, hey, he's leaving. You're going to step in and you're going to fill that opportunity for what we need to, to help us maintain the gap and you can do it. And I was like, okay, great. And so I just continually kept adding and adding and adding things to where my current role really is just amalgamation of a lot of different things that I've been able to pick up and own throughout my time at the Chiefs. So uh, yeah, the the opportunity to kind of grow has helped me throughout, but it's also continued to develop my skill set. I went from sweet servicing to account management and kind of measurement. And so I managed our media account. And at the time, I was really upset that I got it. And my vice president would tell me the exact same thing that he knew I was mad at him. And I I wasn't mad. I was just annoyed because I was like, I have all these other things I'm working on. I can't add this new thing. I've got to learn it. The person who's leaving is leaving in a week and I've got to learn it in a week. And I'm stressed and I'm, I'm overwhelmed. And I don't know if I can do this. And he's like, you got it. And so now I look back on that as one of the greatest opportunities because I learned how to manage accounts, which is delivering bad news when I have to. I learned how to, you know, think about partners in a different perspective. I understand now what a spot is in a media from a radio or a TV perspective. I also had a parking account where I now understand how the parking at Arrowhead works. You know, when you're parking 20,000 cars and you're trying to bring in VIP service, how does that work? I had a ticket broker that I managed. So I understand the secondary market. So all these small little pieces has slowly added to the way that I now see the department um, where I can almost step into any role. We had someone leave recently and they had a couple of accounts and they said, Armand, can you manage some of these on top of everything else you're doing? And I was like, do you have a choice? And like, no, not really. We need you to step in. I was like, great. All right, let's pick it up and you know, dust off some of the things I'd learned and jump into it. So it's one of those things where it, at the time, like I said, it was still, you know, I don't really want to focus on that. I don't see the picture, but it was like, okay, now I feel so much more prepared to continue to add more things and add more insights because I've seen the whole view. I helped sell partnerships. I helped the strategy. I've helped manage accounts. I've thought about measurement. I've been in those meetings for sales, for renewals. And so now I see the whole picture. So it's been, it's been a great opportunity and now kind of helps me to, to what I do right now. I love how you essentially like had, the, had the guts to like take that report to the vice president of the chiefs and essentially like you've like that is what has opened up those doors for you to really push forward is that you were willing to just go and out on a limb you know you don't know what they're going to think of it but you've just gone out on a limb and, and thought i'm just going to do this and ultimately the that's paid off it's fair to say <laughs> i mean I, i'll take this from another san diego state grad his name's mike kitts he's the he's a uh, two or three time uh, NBA champion with the Golden State Warriors is the SVP of, of partnerships over there. He talks about calling it's and one. Now, I, I do the same thing. I just didn't have the phrase of it. And I like it because it's a basketball phrase. But essentially, it's okay. Here's what I'm asked to do. I'm going to do that. But I'm also going to add an insight, right? And I think that's one thing that young professionals sometimes gloss over when the, the, the job is, hey, fill this report. Okay, great. I can do that, right? People want people to go that extra mile. Now, 
do they have to listen to what it is? No. But if you said, hey, Ruben, Ryan, here's your report. As a side note, here's the information that I found out of it. Here are my recommendations based on the data that I saw or based on the information I think we should or we shouldn't do this. That just gives you another perspective, right? And I think one of the things that I was fortunate enough with the vice president is that I got invited to bigger meetings because I knew the answers and I wasn't afraid to give my perspective, right? Some people came to me and said, he listens to you. I said, well, because I offer a different perspective, right? I'm not afraid to tell him what I think. One of those things where essentially, you know, people would come to me and say, wow, he listens to you, right? And for me, it was, yes, because I give I give my perspective based on what I think. Now, we can disagree, but I don't have to be rude about it. I can just say, here, this is what I think. And if I have some facts and I have some perspective, it might give him a different view and go, hmm, that's interesting. I didn't think about it that way. And so that's how you add value, right? You have to stand out if you want to grow and you have to push yourself to be uncomfortable. And sure, of course, it was very uncomfortable. I mean, there was one meeting that I was fortunate enough to be in, which was a revenue meeting where it was directors and above. And I'm the coordinator level in the meeting because I run all the reporting. And after the meeting, my vice president goes, Armand, you know, I gave my updates and they're very, very minimal. And he goes, Armand, he's like, if you're going to come to this meeting, I need you to actually add value. I can't just have you do this because if you're going to do that, then don't bother coming. And I was like, oh, and he's like, I was like, oh, I thought I was just doing what I was told. He's like, that's great. I appreciate that, but I need you to add value. And so I've always thought about that is if I'm in a meeting and I'm there for a reason, how do I add value? And so I think that's a really important thing for people to remember as they're kind of growing into the profession. I think that's so relevant and probably something that we've spoken about before, Bruce, about being scared to contribute when you when you first enter an organization. And I know, I forgot what we called it. There's a word for it and you'll be able to tell me, but... Having a bit of um, imposter syndrome. That is the one. That is the one. And I, I remember, yeah, personally, when I first started working full-time, you know, I, I kind of like, well... I'm the lowest level in the room here. Like, I don't really need to be heard at all, but it's actually the opposite. Like, you need a, like, the, you need a reason to be there. Like, why, why sit there and not talk or offer any sort of insight at all? So it's a, it's a good point you make. And, you know, obviously that's so relevant for, for anyone starting in a new role in a new organization about feeling that way. You just got to flip it on, flip it on its head and, and say what you think and offer perspective, which I think is a good word you used. You know, you don't need to have all the answers, but it's a an offering of perspective. That's that's all you really need to have. Yeah, and and also I'll say that I think young professionals get a little bit intimidated, right, with the titles in the room and do I belong? But I think you add it right. Like if anything, a lot of times these young professionals know what's going on with TikTok or know what's going on on social media that can actually add a very valuable perspective, right? I think one of the times they wanted to try to do something to kind of get everyone drummed up and they realized they're like, we actually just ask the young people that work here, right? Like, what do you think about this? Like, give me your perspective, right? And it's one of those things where sometimes organizations forget that some of the young professionals add extremely value. Now, you don't, like I mentioned, you don't have to be rude about it. You can add your perspective and just say, you know, respectfully, are, are we thinking about this? Did we add this perspective? Devil's advocate, let me say this, right? And there are nicer ways to kind of put your thought apart instead of saying, no, I don't want to do that or whatever the case may be, because that's definitely not the way to handle yourself in a, in a professional meeting and will lose you credibility quickly. But if you can say it with a respectful perspective, um, 
I think you're going to add a lot of value and people will continue to ask you and your confidence will continue to grow. You may have covered a little bit of, of this so far, but just wanted to get sort of an insight into what your current day-to-day uh, role looks like as manager of, of business analytics. Yeah. So, I think the standard, you know, every week is different is obviously the same for every sports person. However, I will say that I think about it as in season and out of season. So I don't necessarily think about it from week to week, more or less kind of the things that I'm working on at the time of the year. So at this moment right now in season, I'm actually working on helping the activation team make sure that they have all the assets that they need. Things are kind of pulling through properly as it stands right now. We're in the playoffs And so from an invoicing perspective on the suite side and partnerships, I'm actually very heavily focused in that at the moment and kind of making sure that the suites team and the partnership team has everything that they need so that we can get invoices out for playoff fees. One of the things that you mentioned on a pre on the call is that we're just wrapping up our postseason survey with some of our season ticket members to see how from a brand perspective, things have performed. So that's kind of what in season is all about. Now, Out of season this year, some of the bigger projects I'm working on is, you know, we're potentially changing. Um, We're going to do some CRM upgrades. We're going to do some things with inventory management. So those are some of the things that I'm going to be working on and evaluating new vendors in the off season to make sure that when we're in season, everything we have is needed. So I'm going to go through a kind of a whole request for proposal phase, try to figure out what we need, what didn't work, and kind of take a chance to step back and evaluate what was working and what wasn't. And then obviously whenever we play, stop playing football, which will hopefully be February 8th after the Super Bowl with another Lombardi in our closet, we'll be trying to think about business plan, right? So usually at the Chiefs, traditionally business planning starts in November. It finishes roughly around December uh, when the season used to end. Now with the incredible success of the team, that plan has been pushed a little bit further out. And obviously with COVID, it was a it was a definitely a different process this year. So I'll start working on business plan, helping our vice president kind of think through some of the numbers of where are we at now? What does our business look like next year? But what does it look like in year two and three down the road? What are the things that are going to come ahead? What big renewals are coming up? What big categories are we looking at? And so essentially kind of looking at those things. But to summarize it all, there are kind of six main things that I oversee. So I oversee our CRM system for the partnership side. I oversee our uh, financial reporting. So anything to do with auditing or finance um, with suites or partnerships. I oversee our measurement strategy. How are we thinking about what we're going to measure and how we're going to measure that story to each individual brand and what they want. What vendors are we using? Are we using a social media listing tool? Which is that? Why are we using that? I do sell partnerships and kind of support partnerships whenever I have the chance to sometimes working in tandem with the vice president. And then the final bucket is special projects. So for this year, my special project that kind of took up a lot of time was the tarps or the um, the coverings on the seat, seat covers. So essentially the NFL gave us that asset, but it's not just, okay, here's the asset, put it on. It's all right, we have this asset. What is it worth? How do we value that? Are we saying it's this much or is a third party vendor providing it? So I went out, found a third party vendor, had them measure it, had them provide us the data. I then took that data and then said, okay, What are we going to be able to deliver on? What are we not going to be able to deliver on? 
where are the gaps that we can make up some value for partners with an incredible asset and start to put a strategy in place to start to fit the pieces into the big puzzle. So it's always changing, but the special projects bucket is one that's shrinking and, and growing at, at almost at will. But unfortunately, the other ones, they don't, they don't change size. They're kind of always the same. So that's usually kind of the overarching role of what I've kind of created and taken. I mean, reporting was something I was doing in my first year with the team that's still kind of with me today. So um, things have dropped on and off, but um, that's kind of essentially a, a quick summary there. Ryan, you might be able to trade notes with Aman afterwards. Aman, I'm, I'm keen to hear what, what goes into your, your measurement strategy and what are some of the key KPIs that you look for with your partnerships? So there really is no silver bullet, right? I think, you know, taking the perspective of, you know, how Daniel Oyston on, on his podcast, as well as Andrew Clark from, from Octagon have kind of, you know, looked at what is the purpose, right? And I think that's one of the most important things that when we're talking to people in the sales process, even is what are your objectives, right? You know, we see that you guys are doing these things. Is that how you're going to measure this partnership? Because if it isn't, tell us what is important to you, right? So whether that conversation happens on the front end, whether it's more heavy once we sign the deal and we're going through and we're trying to figure out how to plan for the year. Um, but I think one of the most important things is let's set the objectives and let's figure out how to measure those things. Now, if they say we want to measure how it impacts our brand in the market, okay, we can do some surveys. We can do some pre and post surveys and understand and get a baseline to see how our fans react at the beginning of the season and at the end of the season. Now, they might say, we want to see how it impacts sales. Now, okay, there has to be a little bit of give and take, right? You have to share some of your data with us to understand, is it working? Is it not, right? When we do certain things that help it, how is that contributing? Now, that's a harder equation to put together, but it's much more satisfying to be able to know if it is working or it isn't. Because I think one of the things that I, I really, really enjoy talking to brands about is, okay, if you think 20 million impressions is a lot for a video, and that is a lot, right? It's just an example. What about the video before? And what about the video after? If the next video only gets 2 million, well, why is there a huge drop off? And what happened on that video with 20 million views? If it's the same, okay, is this as high it can get? Or is this just as low as it is, right? So I want to try to figure out and understand how we can make small tweaks to impact if it is or is not working, right? I think a lot of teams are very afraid to put bad numbers in front of their partners to say, oh, it's not working. You know, it, it didn't drive value from how it worked. But if we're continually thinking about, okay, why is this not working? Let's try to solve the problem ahead of time so that we can both win, right? I think we at the Chiefs try to think about business solutions, not, hey, you have a sign in the outfield. That's great. There's the deal. Here's your TV number. Goodbye, right? Like, that's just not a partnership. We think about win-win solutions. So um, that's how we try to think about, you know, and there's obviously impressions, engagements. Those are all important. But I think it's finding the mix that's going to help the partner, help the brand, show that this is working. And I'm a firm believer in that sports can really help a brand. You just have to figure out what you're trying to accomplish, and then we can do that. Comprehensive. I think we could certainly exchange some notes. I'm not sure I know the amount of stuff you do, Aman. It's, that was quite comprehensive, I must say. It is interesting and, and totally agree. Like It's a partnership. 
So, you know, it's not just here's what you did and there's the numbers and this is what you got. It's like, well, let's work together to fix anything or really capitalize on something that's going well or why is it not going so well and how can we fix it? So, it's an ongoing process of of just constantly massaging the relationship in a way, which is great to hear the insights about Kansas City. So, yeah, it's awesome. You know, we personally love when brands do challenge us, right, to kind of show us how this is going to work, show us the measurement, right? Because I think we like to be challenged and we like to have a, I like to be able to to think abstractly about, okay, what is the problem? How are we going to solve it, right? You know, one plus one is two, but like, what's A plus B plus C when you're solving for X, right? Like, give me a complex problem. And that kind of gets me excited in that sense too. So it's a lot of fun in that, in, in that, in that instance. Aman, this time last year, you would have been preparing for the Super Bowl. Based on that week of work leading into the Super Bowl, what are you potentially bracing yourself for? The Super Bowl is a very unique event where unless you've been to it, you really don't know what to expect, especially from a business side, right? And so the Chiefs had not been to the Super Bowl in 50 years. So the game had changed quite a bit. So One of the things that was really great about it was that every year that I've been at the team, we've gotten one step closer. So in 2015, we had our first playoff game and first playoff victory in almost over 20 years. It was an away victory. So it was planning, okay, away game rallies. Let's get people excited. Let's drum up support. And the next year it was, hey, we're hosting a divisional game. We have two weeks to plan for this game. This is awesome. We lost in the first round. Then it was, okay, we have a home wild card, so we have six days to sell this game. We lost in the first round. Then in 2018, we got to the AFC Championship game, first ever AFC Championship game hosted at Arrowhead. And we lost, you know, we're just offside, and we didn't get to go to the Super Bowl. The Patriots beat us. Then the next year, we won the Super Bowl. We won the whole thing, right? And so from start to finish, every year, we added something new to the playbook of, okay, in the first year, like if we go, how many tickets do we need? How many do we need for the staff? How many buses do we need? How many hotels do we need? All those things. Who's going? Cheerleaders, support staff, athletic, trainers, all those people that we had to start building those grids and building those sheets and thinking about those. So this year, we're not really sending anybody as of right now. Again, that could all change. That's not, I'm not purview to those plans, but more than likely this year will be very different from in terms of the number of tickets that the Chiefs get or the brands get, because every NFL team that's playing in the game gets a certain threshold of tickets now. They have to give them to players. Ownership gets some. Partners have some in contracts. They go to certain other people, groups. You know, season ticket members have a chance to bid. Uh, this year will be very different. You know, we don't necessarily know what that will look like, but I know that once the game is over on this Sunday, and again, we're recording on the Thursday here, or uh, Tuesday, sorry, it, I've lost track of days already. And so essentially, once that game is finished, we won't be hosting, we won't be going anywhere. So that'll be kind of the end of our season, whether we win or we lose. So um, it, it'll be a unique beast this year. I'm sure there'll be still lots of things to do, whether that's helping partners with potentially activations here in Kansas City or potentially whether those that choose to go are able to get tickets on their own potentially and go to Tampa Bay. Um, It just won't be the same as it was last year. And I'm very fortunate to be able to experience that all last year as it was was an incredible event. It sounds like probably the the most hectic event on planet Earth. I just want to go back to um, maybe some advice for for those listening and 
we do ask this a lot of our guests because they are so experienced in the field. But what do you personally look for when you're hiring interns and and what's some advice that you would have for students wanting to enter the business analytics industry? Yeah, I think, you know, I'll, I'll be less technical in my answer here. I think for me, I've always seen it as for what I do specifically as kind of that partnership analytics strategy space is that I'm looking for someone who's got business acumen, but also like the attitude, right? And the perspective. I think a lot of times very smart people sometimes can kind of get by on just their smarts, right? I, for me, I want someone that's interested, that's dedicated, that's going to try to bring a new perspective and an initiative in wanting to grow and learn, right? If they have all the technical skills, that's great. But what we're doing is we're taking art and we're taking science and we're kind of merging them together, right? So I want someone that's going to be interested in learning and potentially can be coachable, right? At the end of the day, someone that I pick or someone that I choose to be an intern, whatever that is, right? You know, I want them to have those skills that can help them develop into something better, right? I want them to go on to get a full-time role, whether that's with the Chiefs or whether that's somewhere else. And so, you know, the last intern that I did hire, right, you know, he had not necessarily a traditional background. He had a, a, a bachelor's of arts in psychology, but he had lots of different experience, whether that was writing for a, uh, a New York Mets blog. He also worked at Nielsen and then he did some stuff at training camp. And so he had a wide variety of perspectives, which would give a unique voice to the group, right? Because I'm also thinking about it selfishly. How can we add another voice or another perspective, a unique view that can help us grow and see things differently. And so, yes, I, of course, the technical skills, like I, I think, you know, the general ability to understand Excel, I think now more than ever, a lot of these entry level kind of uh, analytics jobs are kind of looking to have SQL, R, uh, Python experience. So I think that's something that people are going to have to start to develop. Again, those are skills that I don't necessarily have a robust understanding, um, but I have a borderline understanding of how to communicate, right? I think communication is extremely important in data. You can have all the data, but not know how to tell the story and it makes it useless, right? Because it's just numbers on a page. Now, assuming you are taking that report up one level or two levels or three or four, the people at the top may not understand what you're saying if you're talking about some kind of high-end statistic, right? If you're talking about p-values or whatever, that may may not mean a lot to a president or a vice president. You have to be able to communicate it. So I think about that now as communication and understanding how to translate is very important as well. Aman, I want to finish by quoting you from another podcast where you said, I love thinking about the way sport influences business which to me is very is a very specific reason to, to work in sport, but which also indicates to me that you're curious and are likely to do good work because it is so pointed. Um, my question is, how did you reach this point? Because there are a lot of students out there who, if you ask them why they want to work in sport, they would probably just say, I'm, I'm really passionate about sport. So how, how did you reach the point where you know your reason for working in sport was because you were so interested in the way that it influences business? Yeah, I think for me, it, it goes back to curiosity. I, I've always been curious about a lot of different things. Now, I, I've always loved sport. And like most listeners here or potentially, you know, those who are wanting to enter the sports industry, right? There's there's some passion of sport. Now, 
I think for me is that I didn't necessarily follow my passion. I followed my curiosity, right? And I think I saw this as an element of a way to express myself and kind of understand and think and challenge in new ways that would be different if I got a job at a tax company or a bank or a telecommunications company. And so I think about that as something that I enjoy. And at the end of the day, this is still a job. Like, don't get me wrong. Like you still have to come up, you still have to show up, you still have to work long hours and sometimes they can be draining. But at the end of the day, I'm thinking about something that I'm passionate about, but I also have a curiosity. And for me, that I, I can't be any luckier than that. And I'm very fortunate to do what I do in this industry that you know not a lot of people have the ability to do, right? I think if people follow their dreams, I think that's great, but you might not be it might not be what you're good at, right? And for me, I've always been really curious about thinking about how to solve big problems. I just happen to find it in something that I'm very passionate about. And it's been a great synergy for me to be successful in this perspective. I think that's a great insight to, to follow your curiosity, particularly if, if you're not too sure where, where you're headed. Finally, Aman, you, you also have your own podcast. Do you want to tell us a bit about that and where people can find you? Yeah, absolutely. So I uh, started this with uh, my co-hosts, Will Item from the Oklahoma City Thunder and Brittany Ramos from the Los Angeles Rams. You know, we had this idea that data and strategy is becoming a more mainstream part of sports teams. You know, I think the sports industry is about five to 10 years behind most, um, you know, Fortune 500 or big companies. And so for us, we've all found a lot of passion and curiosity in what we're doing. And we wanted to talk to like-minded individuals who have great ideas and really go one layer deeper, right? Just like you guys are kind of trying to figure out to help people. We wanted to do the same. And, uh, you know, we've been really fortunate to have a little bit of support so far to start us off. And um, we've, at the end of the day, we've been really enjoying just talking to smart people about, okay, well, tell me that. Okay, well, this is the answer. But okay, but go a little bit deeper. Like, how did you actually execute it? Let's get in the weeds in this rather than just go high level. Like, that's how we wanted to do it. So, yeah, I would say that that's one way to find it or uh, follow me on LinkedIn. Uh, it's another one way where I, as I mentioned to you earlier in the podcast, you know, I've been doing some book reviews and trying to post some, some decent content here and there. So fantastic. We'll no doubt share a link to that so people can get a hold of that too. Aman, you talk about getting deep into the weeds of your own podcast. Some of your answers today have been very practical and easy for people to understand and implement. So thank you very much for coming on, on the show and sharing your insights with us. I'm honored to be a part of this, guys. I, I love what you're doing, so I wish you the best as well, too, moving forward. Rubes, how good was that? I think that's a cracking start to, to a year that's going to be huge. Some big guests coming on and, and what a start that was. I just want to mention a couple of things that I thoroughly enjoyed and probably stood out to me. First of all is just the whole notion around persistence. You know, Aman mentioned a lot of things around sort of you want to be in that A pile or the B pile. You don't want to be in the C pile. Totally yeah, fine, I, loved, I loved how he broke that out as well. I'd never kind of pictured an application process like that before. So, he made that really yeah, well. It made it quite a – he made it visual, which was great uh, mm. and good to chat through and – you know, around that purpose of networking, like you want you want to network and meet people so that you can get a chance at, you know, having a crack at a role. Mm. You know, don't sort of go into networking sort of thinking like this has to get me a job. 
It's just to get mm. you a chance at a job, which is a good way to think about it, I thought. He also kind of, I don't know if this is a saying, but he kind of he kind of took the cheese out of networking. Like he's networking because he genuinely enjoys people and he's curious about people. He's not there to kind of get something out of people, which is where I think people find networking a bit cheesy. So, yeah. well done, no. Aman. You've taken the cheese out of networking. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and the other couple of things that I thought a good good little quote from him was, students are unthreatening which I think is a awesome way to think about, you know, approaching people or, um, you know, just wanting to know more about something from someone else. So, a lot of students will be listening to this and I think it's important to know that students are unthreatening. You know, no one's like, oh, sh-, like, oh, better not swear. Oh, no, like a student's come and want, like, wants to know more about what I do or what my you know, the company that I work for is doing. So, I think that's really important to keep in mind. And then the last yeah, thing, quickly, use, use that to your advantage for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then the third one is just sort of revisiting that imposter syndrome one. I know we mentioned um, that this one a little bit in 2020 and a couple of episodes, but um, just acknowledging that it's completely normal. Most people probably have some some experience of imposter syndrome, so it's totally fine to think like that. So that was my three that I sort of um, took away from that. Rubes, one of the things that we are adding to the podcast this year is a bit of a wrap-up of the episode to make sure that the conversations are really digestible and actionable for the listeners. So tell me, what, what did you get out of that one and, and what are some key things you picked up on that listeners can put into action? Yeah, thanks, Ryan. I, th- I think the first one talks to people who are currently following a passion for sports. And we pulled out a quote from Aman from, a, from another podcast where he talks about how he's genuinely interested in the impact that sport can make in business. And he said that the reason why that's his reason for working in sport is because that's just what he's curious about. And so, I think the first action for, for people out there but from Aman's episode is follow what you're genuinely curious about. A lot of people are passionate about sport, but there's got to be like an element within sport that you've got a lot more curiosity for. And I think when you're curious about things, you learn to understand them better, you work harder at them, and you achieve better results from them. So, no matter what that is, I think following what you're genuinely curious about um, is a really good actionable takeaway from Aman. Yeah, absolutely. I I took that as well. I mean, I forgot uh, exactly his words, but, you know, he was passionate about how sport benefits business and how sport can influence business. And that's just so, like, targeted. And I think that's really important. Like, when someone asks him why he's doing what he's doing, he can just – he says that because that's what that's what interests him and that's what he's curious about. So, I think it's better than just, you know, I love sport. It's got to be something a little bit more targeted and and specific, I think. So, Mm. Yeah, definitely. The other the other one which I loved as well was his systematic approach to uh, networking and, and job hunting. A lot of people say like when you, you know when you're job hunting, that becomes your full time job. And so for a lot of people, it's you know submitting applications and resumes and whatnot. But for Aman, I love how he's just like systematically gone through, put a name down to every single club he wants to meet, put an email address next to it. And has reached out to every single one of them until it's until it's paid off. And so I think it's a yeah, I think that's a fantastic thing that you know people can start to implement, start kind of tracking out and and nailing your approach to networking. I did something very similar, but way less sophisticated. But you know, it kind of just gets on a page for you, like 
you know what you're looking at and who you want to get to know i think it's a lot easier than just having a your linkedin open and having an open sort of search bar i think it's important to at least just figure out who they are and, and where you want to uh, make contact with mm. the other one was the and one approach that i believe he got from his mate at the golden state warriors and that is, you know, particularly if you're in the early stages of, of your career and you're, and you're trying to impress people through internships and other opportunities, is do the work you've been asked for and one. So, maybe you've been asked to produce a report and the and one is that you deliver an, an additional insight from the report that someone didn't ask you for. Or, you know, you've been asked to pull together uh, a sponsorship deck and your, your and one is... You know, this is the approach I think we should take in terms of setting up the meeting. And also, I know this about the person who we're pitching to, so I think this is a great way that we can relate them to. Whatever it is, I think, you know, coming prepared with an and one is a really great thing people can start to start to use. Great stuff, mate. And uh, what a ripping start to 2021. It's, uh, it's great to be back on the pod. It's been too long. So, uh, very happy to be back and thank you for all those insights there. Anyway, thank you to the listeners as well. Um, Thank you for tuning in. If you have put anything you've heard on the podcast into use, we'd love you to let us know. Uh, We'd love to hear about your successes. Last year, we had one guy get an internship using two ideas from an episode we did about sponsorship activation ideas. So, please let us know because we'd love to hear all about what you guys are up to. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time. Hey team, I hope you enjoyed today's episode and if you did, please share it with your friends or your classmates who also have to figure out all of this sports career stuff. As you can see, this podcast is practically a masterclass and it's free and you and your circles deserve to have it, so please share it far and wide. Finally, when you're ready to make sense of tackling jobs in sport, go check out the Sports Grad Method. This is an ebook I wrote based on eight years of trying to get into the sports industry and teaching others how to do it too. All of that is condensed down into a proven process to getting jobs in sport. If you're like me and enjoy things broken out into logical steps, then I think you're going to enjoy it. To get a hold of that, download it from www.sportsgrad.com.au. Thanks again for listening. Chat to you soon.